Keeping It With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is brought to you by TKM Incorporated. This company located in Moss, Tennessee, specializes in erosion control, hydro-seeding, hydro-mulch, silt fence. They do minor excavation work, and they also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their mission is keeping people safe. Their passion is wishing that all men could be saved. TKM stands for The King's Men. If you'd like to contact The King's Men, you can contact them at 931-243-3958, 931-243-3958, or you may email them at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. The King's Men, in partnership with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor is a full construction company that primarily focuses on civil construction and asphalt sales in the Huntsville and Fayetteville regions. Services they provide include, but are not limited to, road construction, asphalt material, underground utilities, site work, and demolition. They employ heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, pipe layers, and CDL dump truck drivers. If you would like for this company to work for you on your project, or if you'd like to work for them as an employee of this family-owned business, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. Or three W's and a dot, sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones. Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. We were very fortunate to be able to open up my little private practice and consulting business on the first day of 1998. Jones LPC and Youth Resources. We've now expanded into Jones LPC Youth Resources and Consulting. But in that very first year, we got involved with uh, Dr. David Barnhart. And Dr. Barnhart and I had been friends over the years, and he had some property on Kill Mountain and wanted to develop it into a ropes course. And so we started what we would call the Kill Mountain Project. Later, we would incorporate under a name called Inner Quest, because on a ropes course, the, the scariest thing that you confront is not the high elements. It's not the, the quantum leap. It's not the giant swing. The scariest thing you confront on a ropes course is yourself. So we have a policy that says a challenge by choice. But when you choose your challenge, you have to decide if you're saying, I choose not to, or if you're using an excuse and telling yourself you can't. you got to decide if you're going to make progress or make excuses. And we had access to this 80 acres that David's family owned, and it was located on Kill Mountain, and it was in some very mature hardwoods. Uh, we built the high course down in the valley in these massive trees. I remember uh, repairing one of the elements, and I needed a 39-inch auger bit to drill through this hickory tree in order to replace one of the bolts to, to make this element come back up to standards. And, and part of my job at, at, in the ropes course was not only was I the lead instructor and the lead facilitator, but I was also the court, course maintenance guy. I maintained the trails. I kept the field cut. 
Uh, I did the work in the trees. I repaired the cables. I repaired the elements. I'd even taken a week off of work and uh, helped the crew that built the course build it so I could learn how to build them. And we only really ever had two real worries on the course, and, and one of them was weather, and the other one was weather. Because, you see, when you're up on the, in the remote location on Kill Mountain and it starts to rain, you don't really have any choice but to break the program down and send everybody home. And, of course, you know, if you're up there on the mountain, and, and our, our process was to go in every morning that we had a group prior to the group getting there and hike down the mountain and climb the trees and set the high elements up so that the group that's paying to be there doesn't have to wait on you to set things up. But if you get a rainout event, then you send everybody home, and once you pack everybody out, you've got to go back down the mountain and retrieve all this expensive gear out of the trees. You can't just leave it hanging up there. So we began to, to try to torque our way around the weather, and, and we sufficed with some portable tarps. And if we thought we might have a weather event, we would uh, pre-string these tarps so that our groups could get under them. Eventually, we bought a uh, portable awning like those uh, portable garages. looks like they're made out of an aluminum fence post with a, an A-frame roof and, and covered with a tarp. And every day that we finished the course, we would have to take the long poles out of it and sit it on the ground so the wind wouldn't lift it. But eventually, we built our pavilion. Uh, Derek Horst, the portable gorilla, designed this little pavilion, and uh, we spent several days up there building it. Tommy Kilpatrick and uh, Tim Orbison actually helped me roof it because I was trying to work on a deadline and get it ready for a group of teachers to meet. But we built this little wooden pavilion, and, and it's still there. It's, it's still on the mountain today. The, the gentleman who owns the property, his son has actually turned it into kind of a little campsite. And they have some water collection stuff and they put a swing under it and they've got uh, bird feeders. And it's a neat little camping thing. But the pavilion that Derek and I built is still standing up there today. Well, we were in, in the business of running this ropes course. And for whatever reason, we'd been exceptionally busy. It was probably the second or the third summer that we had the, the project. And uh, we had been busy. We'd been doing youth groups and we'd been doing a group from the arsenal. And we almost programmed the whole month of June. Now, our goal was to do a program a month, but we exceeded that by far every year. But for whatever reason, we would programmed a lot in June. And then we didn't have anything. We had a two-week lull. And then we had a group coming in the weekend after the 4th of July. And so it's the 4th of July. And I drive up to the mountain, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to hike the trails and make sure that they're in good shape. I'm going to look at the trees and make sure we don't have any overhanging limbs or dead limbs. And oftentimes, you're going to look into the trees and make sure, you know, there's no bee's nest under your platforms and there's no dangers to, to your group. Uh, we always had to watch out for yellow jacket nest in the ground in the early fall, but this is July. And in July, you're not going to have to worry about a lot of yellow jacket nests. For whatever reason, they don't get that big or they're not that active. But I drive up and I drive across the little dam that, that blocks the, the pond at Miss Rabatten's house and where Trimble Creek flows down the mountain. And I drove across the dam and up the rough, bumpy dirt road. And I drive across this big field and there's my pavilion. And on the front left corner of our pavilion is a hornet's nest. And, and I mean a big hornet's nest. You know, it, it's it, it's to me it's it's massive. And of course, I'm I'm very uncomfortable around bees. And, and when I say hornet's nest, what I'm talking about is it's a what we would call a bald faced hornet. 
Now, it's these little black and white bees that are about an inch long. Uh, sometimes they're called the bald-faced aerial yellow jacket. Sometimes they're called the bald-faced wasp. Sometimes it's just called the bald hornet. They had a black and white marking. It comes from the idea of a piebald deer. Well, because these uh, wasps are black and white, it, it got shortened to just the bald-faced hornet. Sometimes they're called the white-faced hornet. Sometimes they're called a black jacket. They've been called the white-tailed hornet, the spruce wasp, and the bull wasp. They are technically not hornets. There really aren't very many true hornets in America. They're a, a type of yellow jacket wasp. It's not a true hornet. Uh, and they're not bees. They're wasps. But I drive up to, to the course, and it's only been two weeks. I mean, I, I closed down the course. We put our stuff up. We locked the lockbox and drove away. And in 14 days, I show back up, and I've got this, this massive, to me it's massive, hornet's nest on, on my pavilion. And you can't walk in there with a group of teachers. You can't walk in there with a group of students because if you get within a certain range of a hornet's nest, they are very territorial. And they'll fly out of there and, and, and knock you to the ground. My dad said he believed that a, a hornet could knock a grown man off of a tractor. <laughs> Let me tell you something. A lot of people have been called into the ministry because they got slapped off their tractor or off their mule and thought they'd been, been assaulted by the Holy Spirit. And it was just hornets. Uh, we've seen hornets fly out at night and hit the lights on the, the fishing boat and hit it so hard that it would kill them and they'd fall into the water. But I've got this hornet's nest on my pavilion. And I, I'm incredulous. I can't believe that in just two weeks there's a nest. Well, obviously I've got to leave because you can't find a hornet's nest in the daylight. I've got to come back. I've got to come back at midnight and I've got to burn this thing down. So I go home and, and, and I'm scared and I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I'm fussing. And how does a hornet build a nest that fast? How does a hornet go from we're not even here to in two weeks you've got this thing that's larger than a football on the side of my pavilion? And I'm muttering this stuff under my breath and I'm talking out loud. And my wife and all her wisdom looks at me and says, well, honey, what else does a hornet have to do? It's not like they're running back and forth to Walmart. And, you know, that was probably profound. As I've done some research on the bald-faced hornet, it, it, it's founded, the colony is found by a single female. She's inseminated, she's pregnant, and she'll spend the winter in the ground underneath some tree bark and a, a, a stump or in a void in a wall. And if she survives the winter, she'll come out and, and she will lay her eggs and she'll lay her eggs, and, and, and it takes six days for those eggs to hatch. Now, now when these eggs hatch, she's hunting. She builds a few little cells, maybe six or seven cells, in this very, very tiny version of a nest. And, and they take fibers from plants that they eat, and then they secrete it, and, and they build up a paper nest. And yes, bees invented paper way before men did. And this one queen will hunt, and they're, they're om, om, omnivorous. They eat meat, they eat other insects, they eat a little bit of nectar, and she flies back and forth and feeds these larvae. It takes six days for them to hatch, and then about eight days for them to grow as larvae, and then about another nine or ten days for them to mature into workers. And when these first seven or eight wasps mature into workers, then they begin to hunt 
and build and hunt and build. And then the queen's job is just to lay eggs. They build the cells and she fills the cells. And then in six days and then in 10 days and then in, in the additional time, now you have another batch of workers. And as this thing begins to expand, it expands exponentially. And in two weeks, you can go from a single queen and seven workers to several hundred ball-faced hornets living on the side of your pavilion. Now, I went up there at midnight, and I took an extendable pole saw, and I stretched it out as long as it would go, and I wrapped a t-shirt around the saw, and I soaked the t-shirt in some accelerant, and I lit it, and I walked up there like a knight with a lance, and I burned the thing down, and a paper nest will burn super quickly, and you watch the little hornets fly out into the darkest glowing embers, and then they fade, and your hornet problem is solved. But I was fascinated by Jackie's statement. Here I am consumed about how in the world do you go from no hornets to this huge nest, and she said, well, what else does a hornet have to do? And, and they have nothing else to do. They are singularly focused and it is simply about building that colony. The queen produces workers, and the workers produce food, and the workers produce structure, and they build these large conical-shaped nests, and, and they'll only use them for one season, and then they'll abandon them, and the whole thing starts back over. But for those 150 days, from the early spring to about September or October, the only thing the hornet is worried about is, is enlarging that colony. I wonder what would happen in our lives if we could be singularly focused. I wonder what would happen in our lives if we could decide that this is my one thing, that, that this is my purpose. If we could get rid of all the distraction... If we could get rid of all the, the noise, if we could get rid of all the things that vie for our attention, and, and, and we woke up one day and said, my job today is to create and build myself into the best spouse I could be. What would happen to the dynamic of your marriage? What would happen if, if you decided that your purpose was the development of your children into mature, spiritually mature, functional adults. What, what, what would life look like if somebody said, well, how, how did you do such a good job on your kids? And you looked at them and said, well, what else did I have to do? Hey, how did your marriage get this strong? Well, what else did I have to do? Tell me about your commitment or your devotion to your faith. Well, what else did I have to do? You see, if we can be singularly focused, the thing that we built, the thing that we accomplished, the thing that defined our existence would be that one thing. Well, what else did I have to do? Solomon, and, and I believe that, that when he writes his letter, uh, I believe the Ecclesiastes, the words of a preacher, is, is performed like a play. I don't really think that he's lamenting I think he's playing a character. It, it's entitled Ecclesiastes, the words of the preacher. And he talks about all the things that are unfulfilling. And he talks about all the things that are 
not worth anything. And he talks about all the things that he tried and the things that he owned and the things that he spent and and, and everything that he describes, he'll describe as vapors and vanity. But at the end of it, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. Now, now some translations say this is the whole duty of man. That's that. I believe it's more accurate when he says this is the whole of man. I'm going to fear God. My number one responsibility on this planet is to God. And my number one responsibility to God is my spouse and my children and my family. And everybody else gets to take a number, and sometimes those numbers are double digits. What would our lives look like if we live with an undistracted, singular focus on fulfilling that thing that we were created to be and do? Well, how did you accomplish that? Well, what else? did I have to do? Using the tool of shortwave radio, World Christian Broadcasting literally covers the world every day with the gospel. They use two large curtain antennas. One is located in Anchor Point, Alaska, and the other in Madagascar. They send out messages that are recorded at their international home in Franklin, Tennessee. They make available 40 hours of broadcast every day. The broadcasts are made in English, Chinese, Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, Korean, English for Africa, and Arabic. They would love for your group to visit them. You can bring your ladies group, your youth group, or your men's group. Just give them a call at 615-371-8707. 615-371-8707 or you can go to three w's and a dot worldchristian.org find the donate here button and make a financial contribution to support this work that literally covers the world every day with the gospel world christian broadcasting in cooperation with keeping up with jones the lonnie jones podcast adventure Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure is sponsored by us. What? We sponsor ourselves? Is that even legal? Check us out on Amazon. You can have access to the titles of Pedagogue, the youth ministry book by Lonnie Jones. Cognitive spiritual development, a Christ-centered approach to spiritual self-esteem. Grappling with life, controlling your inside space. A small essay using the principles of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to talk about psychological and emotional self-defense. If I Were a Mouse, a children's book written and illustrated by Lonnie Jones. And then The Selfish Reel, a very short story about a decision. Also, you can check out our YouTube channel to see archived lessons and presentations from across the country. Some videos with uh, rope tricks and knots. Don't forget to visit the uh, Facebook page, 550 Guys, to learn about the little rope men that we make and in, that we invented and that we make. And then be sure to click like, subscribe, and share. This is Keeping Up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. Mm-hmm.